0: Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we talk about biblical counseling. We have a conversation about some of the downfalls of the biblical counseling movement, in particular, its tendencies toward quietism and hyper-introspection. And then we consider how counseling can be done well from a confessional and Christ-centered perspective. We consider how things like counseling centers can be used well for outreach so that people can hear the gospel and also can be used to funnel people to the local church, which is the real place where counseling and ongoing soul care occurs. And then in the members podcast, we talk a little bit about our particular areas and our visions for these kinds of things, even stuff that's already going on in the cities where we're located. And then we talk some about sanctification in the church and how a perspective that emphasizes and obsesses on sanctification actually hinders our ongoing Christian life and our growth in the faith. We hope the conversation is helpful, clarifying, and encouraging for you. Stay tuned.
1: Hey guys, as a quick reminder: if you'd like to join TheoCast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books; they're available at Amazon. Dot com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org/give.
0: Welcome to Theocast. Encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ, conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Brothers, it's good to be around the microphones with you again today. After a, a week off, we are back to podcasting. How are you guys yeah. doing? In particular, Jimmy, I'm interested in how you're doing because you have our cultural update for today.
1: Well, I'm actually going to take Glad over to his cultural update and say the John reason why do we didn't that. record. John would absolutely. Would. Do that. <laughs> the reason we didn't record last week is I lost power for three days, so that's, we literally that's why we just decided
0: who was going to do cultural update, and now John just usurped <laughs> it. He jumped
2: in and took it. He did.
1: Hey, he is. Hey, he is you a. Ha- you have to.
2: I feel very dethroned at the moment, John. <laughs>
1: Okay, it's back to you, no, Jimmy. I, I, just, I, know. I just wanted everybody to know my pain, that I, I didn't have power for three Goodness. days, so I just I want everybody yeah. and that to that so is real for me. In the midst well, of will, COVID-19, in the midst of COVID-19, we will, no, no we'll, power. We'll,
2: so. we'll counsel on that later. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm glad to... <laughs> wow. Bingo. I'm glad to uh, do the cultural update. Good to see you guys again. Uh, so we're approaching the end of the school year here in Minnesota, so I don't know how school works in, in y'all's neck of the woods. But we typically do not start school until after Labor Day and then we be uh and then we end around Memorial Day, which I feel like is just normal. But in in Ohio where I grew up, it was, you know, we started in like August and went through June almost. That's so, how that's how it is in North Carolina. Yeah, see? Well there you go. So that's I'm impressive. I'm just looking forward to yeah, a lot of the listeners know that I'm I'm bivocational and so I'm just looking forward to having a little bit more time to to spend on church-related things uh, throughout the summer, we've got some fun, fun things planned with the family. Uh, w- we feel like we've we've reached a a really fun age with our children. So we are uh, seven, five, and then our daughter just turned three this past weekend. She is and adorable. we are adorable. she is <laughs> very cute and and we are officially out of diapers in our house. Yeah, so we do not <laughs> have diapers. That's a big Bro, deal.
1: That is huge, especially for JP. <laughs>
2: yeah thank you for that john yeah yeah right so it it is we are just so we feel like we're diapers yeah he i think he does i think he does do you have two
1: in diapers
0: we have one we have one in diapers one in pull-ups
2: for nap and bedtime all right there you go there you go so yeah so Uh, we're also in that age where we're no longer like dominated by our children's nap schedule. Like we can go Mm -hmm. out in the mid afternoon again, Mm -hmm. uh, It's real, which, which is just, it is this really neat place to be as a family. We feel like our, our two older boys, like my, my oldest son, we can, we can hold, you know, mature conversation with him over an extended period of time. And and so, yeah, we we're just we're looking. It's forward remarkable to, when to summer. It is crazy. So you know what, yeah, You know what the next I'm, stage
1: is, Jimmy? The next stage that's going to blow your world is when your children can be watched by your oldest, and you and your wife can have like two dates a week. Goodness, it's amazing. Yeah, that's we that we already that would be something.
0: We already are talking to our oldest child about that, and he's only six <laughs> and a <laughs> half. And I'm we're totally like, serious. look, dude, <laughs> there is going to come a time when you are yeah. going to be in charge. Like mom and I are going to go out and leave you in charge. He's already talking about it. He's excited. So it's like, we're just trying to sow the seeds right now. And we're yeah. close to where you are, Jimmy, our youngest just turned two. And so we're thinking, yeah, like life's already getting better. And man, in another year, this is going to be real. Like when, right. When there's less diaper, like nobody's in diapers. And like you said, there's no longer the tyranny of the nap schedule. It just, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Well, funny story. Well, I know we got to
1: get into our topic. Funny story real quick. We, th- my wife and I wanted to go on a date and we hadn't been on it forever and we didn't really want to leave the kids at home. They're at that age where we could, but not for like 30 minutes is fine. Not for two hours. So this is back when they, there wasn't like a lot of home security cameras that were affordable. So there was this doggy app I downloaded on the iPad. And if there was motion in front of the app, it would come on. And so we set that up by the front door and I said, all right, kids, you got to sit here and watch TV. And if you, if you get up and and leave, we'll, we'll get notified. And like every five minutes, my wife is checking the app to see if they're okay, which it wasn't a very relaxing dinner, but it was like our first test of leaving the kids home alone. And now it's like, you can have like a constant video feed of what your kids are doing for like nothing. So anyways.
0: Well, now that we both have just piled in on Jimmy's cultural update. (laughs) That's fine. And, uh,
1: (laughs) He's tweeting about something right now, anyway. So it doesn't matter. He, he is. Yeah, he is. He's, nah, he's tweeting not. and then some tweeting, and everything. I just I'm think just waiting. that there are so many parents that have been listening to this who are depressed and are probably going to need counseling sure. now because they are oh, not in the okay. place where Jimmy's so at true. and where I'm so at. True. So they're just sitting here going, you know, I'm, so I, I have kids in diapers. I can't go on dates. I'm just less of a Christian <laughs> right, now. Right. So right. I could,
0: I could, yeah, I could commiserate with them and maybe maybe offer some. Some common sense, some counsel. counsel. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, So, John Moffat, brother, director of Theocast. Why don't Hmm. you help us transition, just seamlessly and painlessly, to our topic for today?
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's ever been publicly announced that I'm the director. So there you go. Well, Um, we need to edit that out. No, no, it's totally fine. It's you know, it sounds so official, like we're some big ministry. It's it's not really anything. So, anyways, have, the yeah. uh, the tens, subject we have for today. tens of dollars. Uh, That's do right. Make, do make? No, I actually give more this. than I make. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> the um, the subject for today is one that is very near and dear to my own heart. It is something that has um, plagued a lot of churches, has plagued um, me in the past with dealing with. The Christian life. So we're going to talk about the movement of what we call biblical counseling, and we had the longest conversation I think we've ever had prior to our podcast this morning, just making sure that we do not come across, uh, and um, this is not a deconstructionist episode where we're only here just to pull apart everything that we find wrong, Uh, But there are some areas where we want to help the church think through the role of counseling from the Bible, from a confessional biblical perspective. And there are a lot of movements out there, and some of them are helpful and a lot of them are not. And this is where we're going to try and explain to you why we think that they can be actually more damaging than maybe helpful. And all three of us have had positive experiences when it comes to biblical counseling, and um, some of us have had horrible experiences when it comes to it. So just by way of starting, when we say biblical counseling, uh, it is giving someone directive to their life. So normally you don't go into counseling unless there is a problem, right? You have some kind of problem that you need to be directed in that you cannot find that directive on your own. So that's why people go to counseling. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? And then we put the word biblical in front of it. So you're not just getting um, secular idealism where it's human behaviorism. What you're looking for is to receive counsel from a power that's above you that comes from a trusted source that, that you know is truth. A lot of counseling is theory. So in theory, this will work to help your marriage be better. In theory, this could help. Um because it's not necessarily founded upon rock solid, you can't just stamp it and say this absolutely will work. When it comes to the Word of God, biblical counseling is tr- trusting its source with Scripture. So you are going to the Word of God to say these are truths that we know that we can absolutely trust because they are founded upon the inerrant Word of God. That's the that's the um, the the background behind biblical counseling. Uh, The unfortunate side of biblical counseling, what we want to talk about in the beginning, and then we're going to move to how we think you should perceive and use counseling, or if you want to call it biblical counseling. The unfortunate side is that we have people who walk into biblical counseling centers or any kind of a Christian center, and they typically are walking in with a sin issue or something that's been done to them. So they're not necessarily in sin, but they are battling the sin of someone else, or they're battling depression. It may not even be a sin issue. And what they're handed is not necessarily biblical truth. What they're handed is behaviorism and therapy, which the the solutions that are provided to them, if you do this and you do this, then your behavior will change. That's behaviorism. Uh, so they're trying to improve your moral behavior, and they're going to use Scripture either as proof that you need to improve your moral behavior or as motivation. Uh, When I was in seminary, (laughs) the first verse that you took people to was Proverbs where it says the way of the sinner is hard. So the first thing you need to understand, you know, to motivate people is that the longer you stay in sin, the harder it will be. And then there are motivations for a you know, you immediately go negative because you don't want them to stay in sin. So you begin to have them question, you know, do you truly love God? Do you want to get this? And unfortunately, you start messing with their assurance in the model that I was taught. And then it was basically do these things, read your Bible more, pray more, read these books, discipline yourself and, um, that That's going to improve your behavior, so guys that 's kind of where we 're going to start, and I know that um, we we have quite a few things to add here so j p what are what are some of your thoughts on on this
0: Yeah, I want to pick up on some of the things that you've said and, and frame it maybe in my own way th- to depict the the kind of understanding of biblical counseling that we would not advocate because biblical counseling is a very broad term, and not everybody says- means the same thing. When they used the phrase, and so it, it's important for us to understand a, at least a little bit in terms of where some of this comes from. I, in the 1970s and 80s, um, the the church, I think, looked at the the secular, for back, lack of a better way to describe it, the secular therapeutic model. The church looked at that and thought, you know, we we can actually do that better than the world does it, because we have Scripture and, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so what ended up happening, interestingly enough, in the church is there began to be, as John has already referred to, um, a perspective and a methodology that resulted that was effectively a cognitive behaviorism in the church with kind of a Christian label slapped on it. And again, by cognitive behaviorism, what we mean is if you can change somebody's thinking And recalibrate somebody's thinking in, in this case, according to scripture, then you can change their behavior. And that becomes the entire goal and project of the, of the, the approach. And it becomes the, the MO that drives everything is we need to transform behavior by changing and recalibrating thinking. And so what this ends up doing. If we're not careful, is is we end up turning the Bible into something that it really is not. We we turn the Bible into essentially a handbook for mental and emotional health, and that's not at all what Scripture is. The Scripture is is an account of redemptive history. It's God's plan of redemption accomplished through Christ that unfolds through time and space and history. It's not uh, some sort of handbook for your life. And also, we we turn the Bible into a, a kind of medicine cabinet where we go to it. Depending on the problem, we go to it to find the solution, the cure, the elixir that's going to make this better. Oh, you're, you're depressed. Well, here are your verses for that. You're struggling with lust. Well, here are your verses for that. Or maybe it's anger, and here are your verses for, for that. And if you take these verses and you call me next Tuesday, I'm sure you're going to be doing much better. And that's an unhelpful perspective that, that is often sadly common, I think, in, in biblical counseling sometimes today. And so those are the kinds of things that we want to to talk about and really discourage is this approach to counseling that is focused almost exclusively on transforming behavior whereas what we want to point people to is something very different and we want to use scripture the way that we think it should be used and we want to talk about counseling really as a subset of the Christian life in the church and and point people to a, a more corporate reality and what we think is is more in line with not only the Bible's revelation, but then also what we would understand to be a confessional and reformed perspective on the Christian life and theology. So it's a few thoughts from me. I know you guys are, are chomping at the bit.
2: Yeah. So w- one of the things that I've noticed over the years, primarily in myself, as well as in those around me, is that we as people, we are very much pain averse. We we don't we don't want to experience pain, whether it be on a physical level and certainly not an emotional and spiritual level. And so I think a, a lot of what that can lead to is is sort of quick fixes. And you know, just just sort of like a, a behavior modification approach, I think offers that. I think it gives people that quick fix that as long as I can yeah. rid myself of this behavior, I'm going to feel better tomorrow and the issue with that is that it's almost like eating junk food like it feels really good in that moment and it's even dare i say satisfying but the issue is once once that hunger comes back or once that once that feeling comes down you can almost feel worse than you did before because when you're when you're aiming at primarily a a behavior modification approach and then that behavior returns your lows become all the more lower because something that you were trying to rid yourself of has returned with a vengeance, and it can it can turn the sinner more in on themselves and make them feel worse than they did before.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what the issue with biblical counseling is: is that you end up turning your it's it's introspective mostly. Uh And, sure. and I, when I'm, we're going to get to. So I, to be clear and just to back up what Justin is saying I'm we're, we're not taking a nuke to biblical counseling but what has what has um developed over time I'm definitely going to take a nuke to just like I would to any church model or preaching model that is not sure. going to help the believer truly find rest and and my biggest beef is that the the believer does not cannot find rest in Christ in the midst of struggling with sin and their own depravity when they're turned in on themselves. And Jimmy's right, most biblical counseling is a quick fix, and these are the things you can do to overcome these sins. And as you do that, you're pointed into yep. yourself, which is a direct opposition to Colossians chapter two. So it's in, the, the danger of most biblical counseling is introspective. Here's how you fix you. Exactly. And introspective,
0: by definition, is pietistic. That's stuff we talk about all the time on Theocast. So what we really, if we wanted to boil this down, what we are aiming at today or what we have in our crosshairs today is, is what we might call pietistic biblical counseling that we right. find to I be completely unhelpful. Right versus what we're going to offer as a more confessional perspective on counseling. And so a pietistic perspective on counseling is is everything that you've said, John. It's introspective. It's pointing the Christian back in on him or herself. It's pointing the Christian to his or her performance or obedience or disciplines, and will honestly point the Christian to those things as the method to overcome said struggle. Now, of course, there is acknowledgment of, of God and the Holy Spirit and grace and all these things, but really where the rubber meets the road is, are you going to be diligent enough and vigilant enough, and are you going to be disciplined enough in your application of these things in order to see yourself delivered? You know, and and that's, that's problematic from our perspective on a number of levels. We do believe in the transformation of life, but we, we understand that to be something that the Holy Spirit of God does over the course of a long time you know as ordinary means ministry is applied which we'll get to in just a minute
1: we're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called faith versus faithfulness a primer on rest and we the hosts put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance and you can get this at theocast.org primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. One of the things we need to think about is helping the church recalibrate themselves when it comes to problems. When, uh, I have this all the time. I, I, people con, it happened to me Sunday. Someone contacted us through Facebook asking for counseling. And that's kind of how they view the church. The church is their fix my problem, fix my issue. And then even those who are in the church, when they find themselves, really trapped in sin, their solution is, well, I guess I just need counseling. And so they think I'm going to need to meet with somebody for six to 10 weeks to, in order to walk me through this. And the issue with this is that is unfortunately not how the church handled sin and struggles with sin historically and even biblically. When we look at how Paul Paul didn't have a therapeutic model set in place to where do such and such and you overcome such and such. That's just not how he described the church growing with sin. Because what that sounds like is you have a problem separated outside of the church when really you have a problem inside the church. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I do want to I do want to give like a positive take on this because as somebody who has received counseling at a professional level. Uh, I myself had a had a positive experience with counseling. Good. And let me just ex- explain what was positive about that experience. So, one, I wasn't divorced from the local church. And so I was active in the church. Um I was actively receiving help from trusted sources within that church was open with the things that I was struggling with. And because my issues, in my own opinion and in others' opinions, were just very complex, uh, the, the counseling that I received was in addition to the care I was already receiving at my local church. And so, my, my counseling experience, I was telling you guys before we got on, before we started recording, was, was actually a vital step in my journey towards greater reformational theology. And Here is why. My counselor was very fixed on not just applying scripture verses out of context. He was more Mm -hmm. so fixed on helping me focus on the objective and declarative realities of the gospel in my life and getting me out of this introspective, morbid, navel-gazing posture that I had built over time, very much like a puritanical uh, approach to the Christian life and he was he was very good and skilled at pulling me out of myself and helping me to fix my eyes upon Christ that regardless of the the sin that was so much weighing me down in my life my counselor and shout out to him my counselor was very much helpful at pointing me to the outside of myself realities and so we want to be clear that and I know we've said this already that we are not saying that there is no time and there is no space for counseling at at any level but what we're trying to say is w- what kind of counseling is helpful is that which is is pointing the the sinner the struggler the weary saint outside of themselves unto Jesus
0: agree jimmy i i think it's helpful for a counselor to look at somebody and tell them okay you you've come to me to meet with me Obviously, because you have this this struggle or this problem in your life, well, let me be the first, or maybe the second, third, tenth of many to tell you that you may very well struggle with this for the rest of your days. So, if you coming to me, if you're if you're approaching this is well, let me go get counseling and I'll be better. Let me go get counseling yeah. and I'll be fixed. I, I don't think that this is for you. But it, in coming to counseling, the goal would be what you've described, Jimmy, that the counselor is a tool that the Lord uses to point the Christian to Christ and to point the Christian outside of him or herself to the objective realities of the gospel and what Jesus has done for them in conjunction, this is critical, in conjunction with the local church. And so your experience was a good one because you had a counselor who pointed you outside of yourself and because your counselor was caring for you in conjunction with the care that you were receiving in your local church. And those are two critical pieces. I, I know that all three of us would advocate we want the objective realities the confessional realities of the faith held out to people in counseling and it must be done in the context of the local church and in conjunction with the local church even if we're seeking counseling outside of you know maybe the elders of our of our church and so i think a good thought with this is that what we want to see is that when anybody is going to get counseling, biblical counseling outside of the church, that counseling entity is funneling people back into the local church for their ongoing care you know, and for the ongoing practice of just living the Christian life. The, the counseling center is not, or the counselor is not the entity that's going to do the, the heavy lifting and the sustaining work for this person in their following of Jesus. The local church mm-hmm. is going to do that. And that's a critical critical piece here. A quick shout out you gave a shout out to your counselor. A quick shout out to an entity here in our city that one of our members has started Restoration Counseling Center of Asheville is seeking to do this very same work in not only pointing people to Jesus but also pointing people to the local church in terms of what they need in an ongoing basis to live the Christian life. You know, the counseling piece in and of itself is at best a supplemental aspect. It is not going to be the thing That that's going to do it, and I I think that's that's what's missing, sadly, for so many people. Those two pieces—you're pointing people in on themselves—that's unhelpful, and you're acting like the counselor or the counseling center is going to be the instrument that the Lord is going to use. And I think it's going to be the local church, guys. If if we look at the New Testament,
1: yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and there there are great counseling ministries out there. I had a good conversation with someone last night who was. Kind of start a, a podcast and I was kind of help them with uh, we were talking through counseling and biblical counseling, and uh, I'm excited for their podcast I'm excited for their ministry. and we need more people who are willing to get down in the mire with people and love on them and, and funnel them out of the community who are not in church and use counseling to funnel them into what we'd say an ordinary means context. Most Christians don't know what ordinary means context looks like to where you strive, struggle, and love underneath the means that God has provided, which is his word and fellowship and the sacraments and baptism. And once you learn to live in that context, uh, it changes how you see your struggles and what you need counseling for. Um, Now, uh, there are times when uh, the Bible is very clear that there you, you need, if you get so trapped in, in engulfed in sin that you're just not, you're not coming out of it. You need to sit down with someone who's wise and confess right. these problems so that they can maybe speak into your life and say, Hey, this is why you continue to struggle in these areas. And, and let me give you some counsel here. Now there's some extreme, there, there are some extreme examples that I've personally been involved in where I, I've had to go, go with this person and admit them into a hospital because they were so psychologically messed up. That they could not even have a logical conversation with me and the fellow elder I was with. And this is a different church context, just for some of my church members that are listening. I have a smaller church now. So this is at a different church, a former church. We had to admit them and they were there for two weeks just because they were, there was, we couldn't even have a logical conversation and they were meeting with psychologists to try and figure out what was going on. And he had fallen into such a deep depression. That he couldn 't yeah. even have a logical conversation, so i yeah. you need to I need to be very clear here that I am not even opposing psychology on certain levels there's a lot of horrible stuff right. that 's out there, but on certain levels or even secular counseling um because i've also had sexual cases where this is way the, the some of the stuff that they are dealing with i can 't even give biblical uh church driven counsel to because we can't even have um a normal conversation until we've been able to kind of regain some ground just on a level that I am not trained in. We're not talking at a spiritual level right now. We're talking at a physical level. So, you know, there's uh, even in the, I I grew up in a biblical counseling world where any type of psychology or any type of medication was unbiblical and you need to get off of it and stay away from it because it, it hinders your work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just not there, and I would heart, heartily push back against that, which we did in our depression episode. So,
2: yeah, yeah, and that that kind of pushes me where where I wanted to take this. In that, perhaps something we can discuss, guys, is that there's there's also kind of the other side of this coin where you can people can hear what we're saying and they can think that what we're saying is you don't you don't need to ever seek professional help. You only need the local church. And that is not what we are saying. We, you know, there's very much a healthy marriage that needs to occur. However, let's go to the other extreme in what about those who would say, well, the Bible is sufficient, right? You have, uh, I believe it's second Peter chapter one, you know, in Peter's introduction, you know, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and then you also have, you know, Paul's letters to, to Timothy, where he talks about the, the sufficiency of scripture. And you can, you can go on the other extreme where people can say, well, you don't need any sort of professional care because the Bible is sufficient for all of your needs. The Bible is sufficient mm. for, for all of the complex realities and emotions and psychological things that you are facing. And so wondering if you guys can speak to that a little bit in terms of what do, what do we say to those who have heard that, that you only mm. need the Bible, the Bible can speak to everything.
0: Well, certainly, the three of us do agree that the Bible is sufficient right for for all matters of faith and practice we We believe that, but we need to be clear about what we understand the sufficiency of scripture to, to mean and be so the way that we use scripture in this conversation is critical, like if we misuse the Bible and turn it into something that it isn't we really do damage to people. I I alluded to this a little bit earlier. We, Whenever we view the Bible in its sufficiency as some sort of medicine cabinet or as some sort of handbook for mental and emotional health, that's bad. What we need to do with Scripture is understand what it's about, and we talk all the time about the redemptive historical framework of the Bible, that it's about redemption accomplished through Christ. It's about God's utter faithfulness to us in spite of our faithlessness to Him. right? And so that's what we use Scripture for. Whenever we take people to Scripture, we're pointing them over and over and over again to the utter faithfulness of God in the face of their suffering, and we're pointing them over and over and over again to the perfect, sufficient, adequate work of Jesus Christ that stands outside of them that's unshakable and unmovable in spite of their sin and struggle and failure. And so that's the main application of the Bible when it comes to any kind of counseling. right? And so, of course, the Scripture is sufficient, but then we have to ask the question, How does change in the Christian life happen? I would say it happens. So it will happen. It's certain. It happens over the course of a long time, and it happens at different rates at different times for different people. So we have to be very clear about all of that stuff, and it's going to happen in the context. We've said this already. It's going to happen in the context of the local church through the ordinary means over the course of years and decades. And it's when people take their eyes off of their own navel and put their gaze on Christ and concern themselves with loving their brothers and sisters that real growth and transformation happen. And so that's what we're really trying to do in counseling is liberate people with the truth of the gospel and with this kind of change in perspective that will then set them free to trust Christ even in the midst of their struggle and their battle with sin.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the... We, we harp this phrase all the time. We, we are always talking about what it means to, to live status forward. And so when people are coming to receive care, when people are coming to find balm for their soul, we, we're reminding them of what God says in his gospel, that, that they are declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, that these realities exist extra nos or outside of themselves. And so that's where we're pointing people. And I and I, I wanted to give like a, a, a small illustration. You know, we joked about you know in my cultural update that that John bombed earlier. That you know we are in this place right now <laughs> with our children where we are finally getting out of update diapers. Bomb. Yeah, that's right. Update bomb. And if you were to talk to me, you know, three four years ago, where all three of them were experiencing going to the bathroom in various ways and fashions. We were so inundated with those things that it was hard to look beyond them. Yeah. And so, mm. you know, JP, when you talk about kind of keeping your head down, keeping your eyes upon Christ and and just allowing God's goodness and kindness and sovereignty to inundate our lives over the course of years and decades, yeah. it's similar when it yeah. comes to like the little years with your children. They will come to an end, right? You will not be dominated by diapers and nap schedule for the rest of your life. But in that moment, you know, those yeah, words right. of comfort may, not, all you can may see. not feel yeah. good. It's all you can see, but it will come to an end. And 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 similarly, exactly when we are talking about walking with people with sin in their sin, as as they struggle with their own frame and their flesh and the the different things that have happened to them, we have to have a certain level of patience that. These people may be walking through these things over years and decades. And and so quickly we can say you need to get you need to drop the sin now. And if you don't drop this sin now, well it's saying something about the greater state of your heart. And it's like, "Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's just be a little bit more patient with people as they as they struggle." Hmm. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there. John, I know that you wanted to Yeah. Yeah. Come in quick.
1: Well, JP, I'll let you you get a comment because I'm about to change this a little bit.
2: No, I
0: Jimmy asked about the sufficiency of Scripture and one other thing that that I had jotted down on my whiteboard, but I overlooked in our kind of frenzy was just to be, to believe in the sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that we jettison and abandon common grace means that God has given us right and absolutely. So we uphold yeah. both that that Scripture is sufficient for what it was intended to be sufficient for, right? And mm-hmm. at the same time. God has made us in his image with the ability to develop common grace means that are helpful to people, which would include you know, wisdom that exists in the world that God has made, and it would include even medication in some cases. John, you referenced this already. There are certain instances where people have real medical problems that need to be addressed medically if we're going to really be of much help to people. Just like we don't try to reason or counsel the alcoholic when he's drunk or the addict when he's high— we, we wouldn't want to try to do but so much work with somebody that is in the throes of a real medical issue. And so sometimes the best thing we can do is point people to a medical professional and then mm-hmm. resume the work of ongoing care. So yeah. that's just a common well, sense I, observation maybe, but it matters.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'll speak to that uh, on a different level, maybe a negative level in that I've had people come to my church and they're assuming that I'm going as their pastor to be their new counselor and that they're just going to have these ongoing meetings with me. And what right. I'm doing is pushing them back into the context of the church because they don't have any life-threatening issue. It's kind of like, hey, look, you're struggling like the rest of us. And the solution is learn how to function as a body member, which that's not what they wanted. They wanted a personal relationship with me that was ongoing, therapeutic, where I'd meet with them and listen to them and then give them something to work on. And not just like, look, I right. gave you something to work on. You don't want to do it. And I can't, you know, we're not gonna we're not going to go on and on and on. You know, I had a conversation recently. And it gave me, I'd love to throw this at you guys. This is the time of the podcast where we're about to go into the members podcast and I throw you a hopper, you know, a grounder. Here (laughs) it comes. Yeah. It's an easy one though. What's interesting is on a, on a word count basis, how much does the Bible say about marriage and parenting on a word count basis specifically to that topic?
2: Very Very little. little. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can count maybe like five verses, you know. And now you can apply all verses that speak to your neighbor because your wife is your first neighbor, right? right. And your kids are your neighbors. Right. So all of those verses yeah. apply. Of but course. when it comes down to marital advice or even sexual advice, that's just not mm-hmm. there. There's just not a lot. Yeah. And where, where there can be men who have a lot of common sense instruction and, hey, look, this is, what I'm finding is that guys that are in their 20s and 30s getting married today lack common sense when it comes to how to care for your wife. I mean, forget biblical theology, biblical counseling. I'm just talking about, hey, this is called common sense care. This is how you take care of of, of someone you're married to.
0: Right. Like if if you need me to open Proverbs to convince you that what you're doing right now is
1: (laughs) foolish, then we've got another conversation to have, you know, like, exactly. (laughs) But John, yeah. what about
2: all those sermon series on marriage and parenting?
1: Right. And there, and look, oh, dear. I'll, and I have books that I recommend and we have with marriage and parenting. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell them, I'm like, well, and people say, well, why can't you just show me from the Bible? Because I'll say, the Bible does not contain, like, for instance, if you want knowledge and wisdom on how to buy a house, I'm not going to go to scripture other than make sure you're not, one, buying a house you can't afford. And number two, you're not, you're not doing this out of, uh, envy, but after that, you need to talk about budgeting. You need to talk about market. You need to talk about loans. That's not going to be in the Bible. Okay. That's counseling. You're going to need to go get from like a real estate agent or somebody that does, does this for a living.
0: Well, to your point, John, you, marriage is a great example or parenting too, if you were to only go to the passages in scripture that exclusively mention marriage or parenting, you would miss like 99.9% of what the scripture actually says to you that's going to be relevant for your marriage or for your parenting. Exactly. Because the vast majority it's it's high level truths of the gospel, the work of Christ, the reality of who you are in Adam and what it looks like to love neighbor. And so that's right. You're exactly. I mean, I preached a a marriage sermon series, a four part marriage sermon series, a couple years ago at CBC, and I was very clear from the outset that I will not be looking at any of the, the typical marriage texts. I mean, first of all, I think they're often abused and ripped out of context. But then the point was the the what the Bible says to this reality has more to do with who you are, your struggles as a sinner, and the sufficiency of Christ and His work in the gospel. Then it has to do with anything else, and then let's just talk about common sense about how we struggle with with each other because we're sinners. I mean, that's how we that's do, right. and that's really how we counsel. And it doesn't matter what the subject matter is, and that's how we mm-hmm. use Scripture. Back to what we were talking about before, is we use Scripture mm-hmm. as I think it was intended to be used.
1: Yeah. Well, in the in the we're going to move over to our members podcast, and before we do, I want to kind of just get it ready and tee it up here. So we've done a lot of deconstruction, done a little bit of reconstruction here. Um, And what I would love for us to do is see how I think biblical counseling or counseling in general can be a wonderful outreach into your community. It's something that I personally am starting to do now where uh, I have a lot of people who grew up in the South who grew up around Christianity and they blow up their life for marriage or parenting and then they say, well, now I need counseling. And I would love to give some wise counsel to those people and then say what you really need is soul care. And let me show you what that looks like. So we'll speak to that a little bit in, uh, the, in the members podcast. And then we're going to also just talk about, um, how we need to learn to be counselors as uh, body as body members, so let's just forget the word counseling because it has this weird psychological connection to a one-on-one basis, but every person in the body is responsible for the soul care of each other. So let's put biblical counseling in the proper perspective and let's put, uh, as Justin just ended, let's put where actual growth and maintenance should happen back in on the church. So we'll, we'll speak to that and on, on a more practical level in the members podcast. So gentlemen, unless you have any parting shots, we're going to go ahead and move over there. And, um, we just want to thank yeah. you guys for listening. If you're new to Theocast, you can go to our website, theocast.org. And we have actually a new podcast there called Ask Theocast. And if you are a member or want to join our membership, you now have access to all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast app. We have a new program that we're working with where you can download our weekly premium podcast, which is our members podcast and all 300 plus back episodes right on your phone. And, uh, for those of you that are tired of logging into the website to try and find an episode, you don't have to do that anymore. You can have it right there on your phone. And uh, thank you for all of those monthly supporters. This is what makes us available. And we should have a new book available, if not by now, a uh, new book available on assurance. So we are excited to put that available. It's a primer. We're starting a primer series. So that's the next book in our primary series on assurance. So if you want to learn more about all of that, you can go to theocast.org. Gentlemen, we'll see you in a few minutes.